just going to have a prayer. So if you could please bow your heads with me, that would be wonderful. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much for the good things that you give us. Thank you that we have opportunities every day to be kind and to walk in love. We ask, Lord, that you would please help our hearts listen to the message that you have for today. I just ask that your words be spoken, not mine. Thanks for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was around 21, I was doing my Bachelor of Education at what is now called Berman University. It was called Canadian University College at that point in time. My major was in secondary biology, so high school biology. And so because I was studying this, I was doing a lot of courses that the pre-med students were also doing. And on this specific occasion, I found myself in the microbiology lab. And the course that I was taking was developmental biology. So anybody who's in the medical fields or biology fields, you probably took a course similar to that. We had been studying the development of embryos all the way through to birth. And specifically, we were, uh, we were studying this in chickens. Yes, chickens. And you'll find out why in a moment. Now, my professor had gotten a whole bunch of fertilized chicken eggs, and they were in an incubator. And so they were growing and developing. And every few weeks, we would take one, and this sounds cruel, but we would crack it open to see how the chicken had been developing. It's a terrible thing. Those in the medical field, we do stuff like this to, to learn. And anyway... It sounds quite cruel, but this is, this is how you're, you're taught firsthand about development. And as I mentioned, as the eggs were fertilized, they were in an incubator, and they would be growing over a number of weeks in this incubator. And the incubator would keep them at about 33 degrees Celsius, so the same temperature they would be if they were still in the nest. Well, one day... I think it was about four or five weeks in to this experiment, we were each opening up an egg to look at the growing chick. And everything was going well and normal at first. Dr. Van Sheik was walking around, cracking jokes as usual, supervising his students. My friends were goofing off as usual, with words of course, not action, because it was a biology lab after all. Some of us were just writing down our observations in our logbooks when suddenly the entire atmosphere of the room changed within five seconds. Yes, five seconds. Within five seconds of what I would like to call ground zero, everyone was running out of the classroom for cover. Was it a fire? No, though it may as well have been. Was it an intruder on campus? No, there was not an intruder, but there was an intrusion of sorts. Well, one of my classmates, a really nice guy named Jason, he was at the back of the, the lab with his, at his counter, and he was there with his egg. And after talking to his friends a bit, Jason went and cracked open the egg. 
And that was the problem. He opened the egg. You see, the egg was rotten. Have you ever smelled rotten egg? It's not a pleasant smell. But this egg was not just rotten. You see, this rotten egg had been incubating for six weeks. It's one thing to discover some spoiled yogurt that had been spoiled a few weeks back at the back of your refrigerator when your fridge is, is a cool four degrees Celsius. It's nasty. But it's quite another thing if you were to take the yogurt in a sealed container and place it in an incubator at 35 degrees Celsius for six weeks. I can guarantee you it would be explosive at that point in time. And what I remember most is how fast it happened. One moment I was writing down observations and the next moment it was sort of like when you, you know, you're watching an action movie and everything goes into slow motion. And the smell basically, it was painful. The smell was painful. And this, no one knew what had happened. Suddenly there was this really horrible smell that actually hurt our noses. And it hurt so much that people in the class started screaming and running, not knowing why because of how putrid it was. Within 10 seconds, everyone in the class, with the exception of two people, were running out of the room, covering our mouths and just running. Now, this is not primary kids who are running for a silly reason. This is young adults, some mature age adults, running for cover, as though it, it, they were in a, like, in a war or something. And as I said, I remember as though everything was going in slow motion and, and I was running. I didn't even know what had happened. I could just smell this horrible smell. I could hear screaming. I got up and it was like my brain just took over. There was no longer volunteer fun functioning. I was now my brain was like, you get up and you leave right now. And I remember as I was running and... and and just seeing things in slow motion, I remember running out the door, turning to see, what am I running from? And what I could see is my friend Jason, again in slow motion, with this absolutely horrified look on his face, looking as if he was going to vomit as bright green egg yolk was spilling down his fingers. And he was just like, no, like that. And... I've never read the book Green Eggs and Ham the same way ever since. None of us went back in the room for at least 15 minutes. As Dr. Van Sheik, the brave man that he was, he rescued Jason, who was almost like, he, like it was like he couldn't move. It was just so horrifying. Dr. Van Sheik hits the, the, there's buttons in, in rooms where there's chemicals to make sure fans suck up dangerous fumes. He hits that because it was dangerous, opens the windows, opens the doors. It was just an awful, horrible experience. This week, I heard Lauren had a similar experience, um, though much more toned down. I don't know where Lauren is. Just a real good reminder for parents who use 
the parent room at the back, make sure you take your dirty nappies with you and don't leave them in there for several days. We don't want them in our bins. God gave us a sense of smell to help us to know whether there is something dangerous or pleasant in our vicinity. He, he gave us the sense of smell for that. When you're faced with something putrid, your brain basically wants you to get out of there because it's telling you that there is dangerous chemicals here. Get out. You're going to either get sick or injured or something. It's not safe for you. But when you smell something good, our brain tells us this is attractive. You, you need to smell more of that. There's something really good here. And the thing is, when it's something really good that we can smell, it's not just good for us, but it's probably other people like this smell as well, usually. Now, for the past month, we have been studying the book of Ephesians. And it's a book that is all about grace, unity, and love. And today we are looking at chapter 5. Specifically, we're looking um, in this first bit at verses 1 to 2. And it reads, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You see, when we walk in love, it is a fragrant aroma to God. But let's be honest. Being a loving person is also a fragrant aroma to other people as well, isn't it? We all probably have met someone or know someone currently who is just a kind and amazing person to be around, and we want to spend time with them just because they're just such an amazing person. That's what Jesus was like, except all the time. That's why so many people followed him, because Jesus walked in love, which is why over the years you meet different people, uh, in the church, well-meaning people, but sometimes you meet people and, and they tell you things that doesn't quite fit. And there's been times where I've had some people in the past have painted this picture of Jesus being angry about something that has nothing to do with morals, and, and I struggle with it. Because I read the Bible, and, and the only time he gets angry, really, is when he's seeing people not treated well and when people are not representing God well. Um, I've had people try to paint a picture of God getting angry about things like dress codes or music choice or upset whether someone's eating a gluten steak or a beef steak. And I, I don't imagine Jesus throwing a temper tantrum about how we dress or what we eat. For one, Jesus ate lamb steaks. But seriously, there was a reason why all the people who were labeled sinful by the religious leaders hung out with Jesus all the time. Because Jesus loved people regardless of whether or not they had sinned. To the point where the religious leaders looked down on Jesus for it. Jesus treated the homeless, the sick, the infectious, 
the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the refugees, the Romans, and everyone else who was despised by most of the population, he treated them with love. He walked in love everywhere he went. That's why the people could not get enough of him. Jesus was attractive, not because of his looks or his wealth. That's what we often think. But he was attractive to, to mass amounts of people because he walked in love. Jesus was like this breath of fresh air walking past. But when you don't love and when you don't walk in love, well, that has the opposite effect, doesn't it? Sort of like rotten eggs or dirty nappies. When someone is not walking in love, when they're doing the opposite, you really don't want to stick around. Now, it's been 10 years since I started pastoral ministry, and in my time leading congregations, I've seen firsthand what happens when followers of Jesus don't treat each other with love. And they might think themselves on a higher plane than other people who also call themselves Christians. There may not be an actual smell, but with some people there may as well be because of what they treat people like. And there was one church in particular that I had at the start of my ministry that was divided. There was talk about hard borders. There was literally a hard border within the middle of the church. It was divided between ultra-conservatives and, and very, very liberal churchgoers. Lots of fun. As a pastor? No, not really. One group in particular, and I'm going to try to be even-handed here, one group in particular could not stand to be in the presence of the other group. And the rigid group would spend many Sabbaths having a house church only with those who they considered Christian enough to worship with. They didn't want to be polluted by the other people who went to church. Not a pleasant aroma, let me tell you. And I remember one Sabbath when I preached about love, and, and I actually preached the sermon specifically with both of these groups in mind. And I, and I preached a sermon taking aim at the lack of love that was displayed in this church. But unfortunately, the group that often boycotted church due to the other group's presence, they weren't there that Sabbath. And so at the end of church... The group that was there, they said to me, Oh, Pastor Joe, it was such a great sermon. I just wish that those who weren't here could have heard it. They really needed it. And I was like, you don't, you don't get it. <laughs> the sermon was actually speaking to both groups. So when I came back a few weeks later to preach again, I, I preached on love again, and I said in my sermon, I'm not just preaching this to one side of the church. This message is directed at everyone who attends here. Let's talk about a good smell, though. I also remember back when I was studying at Andrews, when I was studying to go into ministry, and I went to the opening of a new church on the campus. And the church was planted specifically to reach those who fell through the cracks at Andrews University. There was actually several churches already at, at Andrews University. And this church was trying to meet the needs of those who just felt like they, they couldn't fit in anywhere. 
They were looked down on. They were people who were on the fringe of Adventist society. And just to give you a bit of an idea about Andrews, if you were to do a radius of a 30-minute drive around Andrews University, there would be probably more churches out in the country in that spot than there is in all of Brisbane. Tons of Adventist churches in the one spot. So it's not like they needed another church, but this church was planted to, to help those who, who just would not feel at home in the other ones. And the interesting thing was that there were so many different kinds of people who came to this service. Many people I had never even seen on campus. And even though it's a big campus, and yeah, I didn't know most people, like these people, like they actually, they looked really different, like different hairstyles, like all, they, like they dressed differently, completely different. And at the time, there was just Jody and myself and Samuel, who was four years old at the time. And as we came to the lecture hall, we were greeted at the door by a young man with bright green hair. Like, you could see him, like, <laughs> hundreds of meters away. It was pretty cool. And he seemed so excited to actually have a role at church. Because of his dress sense, most churches would have looked down on him. So he was greeting at the door of this new church that opened up. Now, sometimes those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm, I'm about to say. There are lots of times when you have a four-year-old where you really don't want them to say anything out loud. Because four-year-olds and three-year-olds, they will just say things. And, and half the time you'll be like, oh, Lord, please take me now. But this time, it was not one of those times, thankfully. And Samuel says something out loud that was really good. It was perfect. I, I remember him as a four-year-old saying out loud right after the, the guy gave him a high five, Daddy, the cool man gave me a high five. And he, as he says it out loud, we're, we're a couple meters away, but it's Four-year-old Samuel, I mean, Samuel is loud anyway, but four-year-old Samuel is a much louder version. And the guy hears it, and his face just beams. It just beams. He, he had made the, this young man who's probably looked down at, at most Adventist churches, feel as though he was part of the body of Christ. And it was a sweet, sweet aroma that was pleasing to God and to people. Later, I asked my friend who had helped plant the church, where did all these, these people come from? And he told me, most of them live here. A lot of them are, are students. Um, but they don't really, they're sort of given the cold shoulder at, at most churches. I knew some of them, so I told them, hey, why don't you come to this church? We'll, we will welcome you there. And... A lot of them, in response, told their friends, and they said, what can I do to help at church? Paul writes, therefore be Im imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So walk in love. 
Later on in Ephesians verse five, sorry, chapter 5, verse 8 to 10, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So walk in love and walk as light. People should know us as Christians, not because we have a t-shirt that says so. Not because of some bumper sticker that we have stuck on our car. They should know us as Christians because we walk as children of light. There's a very well-known story, and I don't know whether the story is true, but it makes a very good point. So if you've heard it before, my apologies. But the story goes something like this. There was a police officer who was driving a few cars behind this woman on the road. And at the traffic lights, when the light turned green, the woman blasted the person in front of her with her horn and yelled at them with with curse words when they didn't drive straight away when the light turned green. And he observed this happen several times as they were going down this road where there was intersections. So finally, as he got a bit closer to the car, he put on his lights and he pulled her over. And he asked the woman to get out of her car and he asked his partner to check and see if she had any weapons on her or hidden in the car as he took her ID and checked it on the computer system. She, of course, was very, very angry about all this. And she asked, what what is her crime? Why was she pulled over? Finally, the officer gave her back her ID and and said and apologized and said to her, I'm sorry, ma'am, I was under the impression that you had stolen someone else's vehicle. Why would you think that? The woman said, followed by a few curse words. And the officer replied, well, I saw how you behaved at several sets of lights. And when I got closer to your vehicle, I noticed a bumper sticker that said, Jesus loves you. And I figured this vehicle must have been stolen as you could not be the same person as the one who put the sticker on the car. We need to walk as children of light. It should be evident in how we live our life. We shouldn't need advertising to tell people that we're Christians. Let's just live as Jesus did. And have people come and, and talk to us and, and ask us, are you Christian or, or why do you behave like that? Let's, let's have the advertising the other way around. Let's give off a beautiful aroma to people around us and truly show them who is the Lord of our lives. The church that I spoke about the, at the start that had such a divided congregation, they had so much potential for their community. They were the only Adventist church within an area of several hundred kilometers. But they openly did not get along with each other. To be fair, one side had more of the issue than the other side, but they did not get along with each other at all. They treated fellow believers as though they were not just evil, but infectiously evil. If someone didn't line up with how they thought, well then they were just not worth listening to. And in the past few weeks, 
we at Springwood have talked about unity and diversity, which is a big theme with Ephesians. And we talked about how God wants us to be united but diverse, as opposed to being uniform. Well, this church was not united at all, and they were giving off an awful aroma to God and to each other, really. One day they asked me to put on an evangelistic series to draw more people in from the community. This may have seemed a bit rude to them, but but I told them I am not comfortable bringing unchurched people into a church that hates each other. I don't want anyone to come in wanting to learn about Jesus and thinking this this is what Jesus is all about. I don't want anyone thinking that Jesus stank. And so I said to them, we can have an evangelistic series when you guys start treating each other like Christians. Then come and have a chat to me. They can go and learn about a loving Jesus elsewhere. We need to walk like children of light, bringing clarity and warmth to those around us. If we are not attracting people through our character and our actions, then we need to spend more time with God and reflect the light that Jesus gives. So, Paul says, walk in love and walk as light. Walk in love and walk as light. So, continue with these thoughts. He says in verses 15 to 17, So then, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise people, but wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but wise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? What has Jesus spoken about? both in the Old and New Testament, more than any other topic, that we should lecture one another, that we should cast doubt about leaders to one another, that we should live in fear. We live in a time period of no other. Now, there's always, aside from at the very beginning or right after the flood, there's always been lots of people around which means there has always been lots of opinions and lots of thoughts going around. However, what makes this time period very unusual is the fact that we know people's opinions because of a combination of media, social media, institutionalized media. We are exposed to millions of of opinions, millions more opinions and thoughts than any other generation in history has ever had to sift through. If you didn't know this about me, I actually try to avoid social media. I need to go on way more than I do. I used to be on it up until about seven years ago. I actually was on it all the time, all the time, way too much. The reason why I went off it is because I got tired of all the conflicts that would take place online. I'd comment about the the weather. I'd say the weather, I'd complain about the heat, and my friends in Canada would get on my case. I'd complain about the cold, and my friends in Australia would get on my case. 
There was other conflicts that I won't get into that people also went into. But even though I don't go on too much, still I come across all sorts of ideas about what is happening or apparently what is happening. From what's been happening politically, spiritually, physically, and socially to what's happening in the local, state, national, and global level. I've been told by people that the government is trying to control us, trying to save us, trying to kill us, trying to free us, trying to heal us, and trying to manipulate us. Sometimes all of these in the same day, depending on who I'm hearing these messages from. I've also heard that I should be worried about China, Russia, North Korea, ISIS, the United States, and the Australian government. I've been told as Christians by people, we should get involved in politics, stay out of politics, vote, don't vote, protest injustice, protest the justice system, protect the law, reject the law, and enforce the law. And regarding COVID, well, <laughs> I've heard the vaccine will protect me. The vaccine will kill me. The vaccine will suppress my immune system. The vaccine will help my immune system. The vaccine won't do anything at all. And that the vaccine is a cover for having a tracking system implanted into my body by the government. And ultimately, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. That's a mouthful. Some even here at Springwood have voiced everything from what we should do, like what, do whatever the government says, no matter what they say, no matter how ludicrous they say it, or we shouldn't trust anything that the government says. Everything they say is trying to take away our freedom. Two extremes. Is it just me, or is lots of these voices contradictory? There's a lot of extremes among them. Is there truth in them? I would say that all of them have a bit of truth, to be honest. But a bit of truth is way more dangerous than the full truth, isn't it? I got asked this week by a friend in America. I, I got told, oh, you're not saying much online anymore because you're being censored, aren't you? It took a, a, a day or two for me to sort of go, what? And I wrote back and I said, no, what? What are you thinking? I said, I, I don't say much because I think it's unwise to jump to conclusions and share everything to everyone online. That's why I'm not saying anything. I'm not censored. I'm just trying to be wise. Paul writes, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He actually writes, don't waste your time. So what is the will of the Lord? That we would love one another. You know what? Even if the things that are being posted all the time, let's say that they are true. They might be true. There's no way to prove either way. Let's say that they are. Even if they are all true, is that the hill that God wants us to die on? 
Is that, what, is that the message that he has asked us to preach and to tell everyone about? Is that it? That we shouldn't trust anyone? Where, where's that going to lead? Whether you think what's happening is good, bad, or ugly, plugging, you can pick whether you're on the left or the right, plug, pick whatever theory you want. Pick whatever thing that you believe. Plugging this, these theories are not what God has asked us to plug. Whether they're true or not, that is not why Jesus died on the cross. That's not what he has asked us to do as Christians. He's asked us, if we're going to proclaim something, he's asked us to proclaim Christ crucified, and that's it. And he's also told us to walk in love. The last prayer of Jesus was for us to be united despite our differences. And that could be united despite whatever we think about COVID. You know what the biggest danger is of everything that is happening in the world? Everything? The biggest danger is that the message that we are going on about has nothing to do with the mission that God has given us. That's the danger. That we are spending all our time on something that God has not asked us to talk about. Sure, we're going to talk about it. It's annoying. I'm, I'm getting, I don't know about you, I'm getting sick and tired of the conversations. Even the ones I agree with, I'm tired of it. I want some other things to talk about. I should be careful in saying that. Um, but we're going to talk about this stuff, but should we focus on it? Our focus should be God. Our focus should be spreading the love of Jesus everywhere. And you know what? God, God's not worried about all this. He knew it was going to happen. The message of Jesus has nothing to do with what's happening in the world. It has nothing to do with the pandemic it has nothing, the message of Jesus is go and, and love one another as I have loved you. It's not the hill to die on. Don't worry. For those who want a hill to die on, don't worry. There is a hill coming that will be one worth dying for. But it's going to be about whether to worship God or not. It's not going to be about something else. It's not going to be about the rubbish that's fouling up the air putting out a putrid aroma at the moment. Both extremes are all about fear, and neither extreme has nothing to do with God. So let's just trust the Bible and God instead of trusting a politician or a religious celebrity. Let's love people. Let's walk in love. Let's walk as children of light. Let's walk in wisdom bringing clarity to things, not confusion to things. The will of the Lord is to walk in love, not run in terror. It's to walk in light, not in darkness. Let's not become repugnant to people by proclaiming a message that has nothing to do with Christ. Let's walk in love, giving off a sweet-smelling odor that's pleasing to God and people alike. One of the things that, I don't know if it's working or not, possibly, maybe not, I can't smell it, so it probably isn't working, 
One of the things I was attempting to do, Joanne and I were trying to do this thing. We were trying to use a bread maker at the back to have this smell of bread come through, but apparently something went wrong, which was no one's fault. Um, but hopefully we're, we're going to get you to smell the, the smell of, of baked bread. Because baked bread has an attractive aroma. Just like Jesus, the bread of life has an attractive aroma. And just as hopefully as a smell like that might attract you, it's my prayer that the fragrance of Christ will attract people not to ourselves, but to the source, to Jesus himself. And so today, I hope that you, you walk away being a bit more well aware of the, the smells that you can smell and the smells that you, you might not be able to smell with your nose, but maybe through your ears or your eyes, you might be able to smell them. May God make you a pleasing aroma to him and to others today.